Welcome to the Tech Today podcast powered by CEO Raider. It's your host, John Mayetta. I'm here today with Scott Curlin and Dan Pallone from SSNC Technologies. If you recall, I guess now it was back in early August, which feels like last week, but it was a, a few weeks ago, that we published a report, a, a spotlight report that SSNC was kind enough to sponsor around the insurance industry. And what that report was geared around was uh, how the insur insurance industry has sort of changed and evolved over the past few years, given the low interest rate environment. And as insurers have uh, worked hard and creatively to pursue real yield, because now not only do you have ultra low interest rates, you have inflation. So the carriers have got pretty creative in terms of how they've done this. They're uh, pursuing all sorts of different alternative asset types. And we cover these in some detail in our report. Um, as part of that, that investment process, the carriers have, in some cases, partners, partnered with private equity, in some cases, merged with private equity to gain expertise around alternative assets. So think of high yield bonds and, and things like this. Um, and if you think about that, that process in terms of participating in the alternative asset market, not only does it require expertise on the front end in terms of portfolio construction, which is where the PE guys can provide value to the carriers, but it provides uh, a set of unique challenges on the execution side, on the operational side, particularly as it relates to accounting, which obviously is where SSNC has a, a great deal of expertise, 30 plus years of, of expertise. And so uh, the folks at SSNC just recently published an, an ebook that covers a number of the considerations uh, that carriers should consider as they look at uh, private assets. And so they go into some detail around these unique challenges. And so at this point, I want to turn over to Scott and Dan as we dive into some of these considerations. Thanks, Joanne. And uh, thanks for having us back uh, on, your, on your podcast show um, as well. Uh, so just by way of a quick background, I'm Scott Curlin, and Managing Director uh, at SSC. Um, and um, uh, work with the team here on our insurance solutions group, uh, and, uh, as well as uh, work closely with Dan Pallone on the, uh, the private lending uh, space as well. Uh, Dan? Hi, everyone. Um, again, thanks, uh, Jonathan, for inviting me onto this podcast. Um, I'm the uh, VP of our private lending solutions at SSNC, offering both uh, software and services in that space. And Look forward to um, engaging with everyone today on this topic, which is very important. Okay, so what I'd like to start with is online banking, online investing. I think all of us have accounts probably. I know I look at my accounts every day, whether it's my checking account or my mortgage account, or I look at my investments. And I think it's really important from a private asset perspective to have that online experience, right? To be able to look at your, your either, if you're lending into this space or you're borrowing this space. As Jonathan said, I mean, this is an area that is seeing extreme growth in terms of the banking sector and offering non-banking options, uh, non-bank options really. Um, and, and we've seen this over the last probably six to seven to eight years and it really started with the credit crisis. Um, the banks have been constrained from a regulatory perspective in private funds that don't have those same regulatory and capital constraints are making loans. 
Um, and what I think is really important is whether you're borrowing from this space, from the private debt space, or you're lending into it uh, as, a, as an investor to have that transparency. And it starts with having online experience um, and, and making sure that your partner in this space is offering the latest technology in terms of online experiences to be able to drill down on your loan information, to request, let's say, a payoff. Uh, if you're an investor, to know what your future cash flows are coming in on that private debt. So I, th I think that's really important to keep in terms of a perspective when it comes to uh, lending in the private market space. And Dan, maybe just to add on to that, one of the other things we, we cover in our new ebook um, is that uh, unlike the sort of the, the, the public uh, finance market, private credit lending is, is not standardized, right? Um, as we know that there's, you know, there's, there's challenges associated with the fact that um, different private credit deals each carry their own bespoke uh, uh, aspects, uh, you know, by the lender and the loan, right? They have uh, unique loan terms, they have uh, specific covenants, uh, and they also have unique servicing requirements, right? And so when you think about it from a technology and services perspective, from a technology perspective, you've got to have a platform that can handle uh, the, really a tailored approach to servicing, accounting, and asset management in terms of the unique deal terms and to be able to, to handle that efficiently um, in, in a semi-automated manner. Okay, and that includes everything from, um, you know, document collection, uh, event notice processing, uh, prepayment issues that occur, defaults, restructuring, all of the different aspects that come with um, private credit finance deals. Um, and so that's on the technology side. And then on the servicing side, um, you know, you, you can look to a, a partner that has expertise around those type of transactions to assist to make sure that that information is collected in a timely manner. It's evaluated and validated, right, uh, in the appropriate manner. Um, and then it's brought into the system, as Dan had talked about, so that, uh, that the overall user experience is more seamless uh, and, and more, more timely. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, I'm, I'm sorry, Jonathan. No, I was just going to interject. I just wanted to uh, accentuate that point for a moment, because to, to me, as an outsider looking in, one of the things that makes SSNC unique is the sort of the, the breadth of the portfolio. And so that, for example, if you're a, a, an insurance carrier, you may be looking at a particular security type asset type for the first time, where if you guys have seen that movie before and given the machine learning underpinnings of your platform, you know, you, so you're learning in real time, SSNC's platform is, is learning in real time and that translates into scalability and oper operational efficiency for your client. Whereas for them, that, that learning experience uh, could be quite expensive and inefficient. That's very true. Yeah, and, and Scott, to play on some of the things and what you just said also, Jonathan, I think it's really important to partner with someone who has that expertise when it comes to the servicing of these uh, private assets. And I like to tell, say to folks, you know, stay in your swim lane, right? So if, if, if you're an underwriter, you stay in the underwriting space but you're not a servicer and servicers do what they do from a servicing perspective. And, and some of us tend to kind of go across all swim lanes, but I think it's most important to stay in your swim lane, focus on what you do well. And, and what we have experienced in the uh, private market space is enabling the uh, experts to um, evaluate these assets, evaluate whether it's, it's debt or it's a private uh, investment and, and property when it comes to real estate, 
and let us take care of the administrative tasks of servicing these assets, right? It, it takes a special skill set and understanding on how to service these assets. So focusing on a partner can uh, ultimately lead to the best uh, yields for um, the fund manager or the insurance carrier if they are uh, giving that servicing to uh, a partner that is their expertise. And again, I like to say, stay in your swim lane. So, And not just any partner in the swim lane for you guys is, is quite large because you're the largest uh, servicer of alternative assets. I think the number was approaching 2.5 trillion in AUA as of last quarter. So it's, uh, you're not new to this, to this ball game. And, and John, you know, maybe one or two other areas to kind of look at this from as well. And you think about sort of the private credit space is at least for, you know, uh, insurance companies, um, these investments um, have to be reported on uh, specific um, uh, schedules and statements. So in the case of um, uh, lending activities, they'll fall on a schedule B if it's a, if it's more of a, a private asset investment through like a limited partnership or GP vehicle, it'll fall on schedule BA. Uh, and so they have to be reported correctly. Um, they also, uh, when you think about it, uh, affect the balance sheet, right? So for insurance companies that have to do solvency two or even just balancing like ALM asset liability management, right? Looking at uh, the cash flow schedules and you know, revenue and expense streams associated with these loans, marrying them up uh, with the other side of the balance sheet and making sure that they can keep the, that, that, the scales you know, evenly balanced for reporting and for risk management. Um, those are all uh, considerations. Um, you've got also the ability, you know, in some cases you have to, to produce the appropriate uh, 1099 or 1098 tax forms, um, you know, auto-generate credit memos and asset summaries. Uh, so there is quite a bit of uh, reporting, uh, both regulatory and, and internal and financial, that comes with these type of transactions. That's also an area where uh, modern technology that we were just talking about before and the business expertise that Dan was speaking about uh, can really can really help take some of that burden away. Yep. Yeah, the, the other thing I would also, um, you know, obviously it's affected everyone around the world is is the um, is the pandemic, and that's created some tremendous opportunities from a distressed asset uh, perspective that we're seeing right now. Um, you know, what is uh, one person's, you know, downfall is another person's opportunity, right? So what we've seen across the private market space is a lot of investors uh, starting distressed debt funds to relieve uh, the funds that own these distressed assets so they can redeploy capital into to new areas. So um, we've seen a lot of uh, transitions from bank balance sheets uh, onto these private uh, debt fund uh, and insurance company balance sheets with these distressed assets. And, and there's a couple of strategies here that we're seeing. One is to basically um, invest to own uh, versus invest to get cash flowing and, and, and to dispose. So um, we see both sides of it, but either way, you really have to be able to understand um, what has occurred uh, from a historical perspective to be able to project forward and then have a view on, you know, where you're going to exit this investment. How are you going to get out of this uh, distressed investment? And, you know, at, at the height of the pandemic, we all saw um, 
the liquidity in the real estate market dry up. Within the first two or three months, there was no liquidity, for example, in the commercial real estate market. And, and that is re reopened uh, and is, is very active today uh, with certain sectors uh, being more favorable than others. But again, this distress investing um, is, is a huge opportunity for those funds that I want to get in um, at the lows and enables uh, other investors who maybe uh, can't carry the uh, capital burdens of these distressed assets on their balance sheets. Um, so it's, it's been a very liquid market from that perspective where we've seen um, you know, basically a, a capital reallocation uh, from one area in one investing sector to another investor sector throughout this whole pandemic. That's a good point, Dan. And I think one of the other key drivers, so you've got the pandemic, right, which has affected the real estate market. You've got the low yield environment, John, that you talked about uh, before, right? And then, you know, the, a third element that's kind of the, 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 been the buzz, you know, is is ESG investing, right? There's there's both internal and external political pressure to to to, to invest with a um, you know social economic um, goal in mind, uh, you know, and, and a conscience, so to speak. And it's important because uh, a lot of the vehicles that are being used uh, to allocate funds in the ESG space are in the private space, right? So they're either investing through uh, business development companies, um, through uh, either a direct investment like a JP, where the business development company is uh, owning, operating, uh, or, or uh, acquiring um, a, uh, let's say, a, a solar array asset or a wind farm, right, or a hydroelectric electric plant or engaging in a uh, energy efficiency project uh, in the real estate market. Um, and then on the other side of it, there, there's also bridge loan financing, right, for, for new projects, new development efforts um, that are being either subsidized or there's, there's leverage involved due to uh, the, the, favorable, um, the favorable political environment around um, uh, clean energy these days. And so all of those things are also um, driving, you know, an increase in private finance transactions. And with those, you have challenges around being able to report uh, right on your ESG uh, investments and what those profiles look through. Uh, you also have the, the need for transparency into what the underlying investments or assets are. Uh, there's transfer considerations because sometimes those investments are sold or, or they're, they're, uh, they're sold off in part or in whole or acquired um, you know, through, the, through the investment vehicle. Um, uh, and again, uh, you also have to look at the, the credit, work, credit, credit worthiness of the builder or the operator of that ESG facility as Dan was talking about before. So that's another, another element of player. You guys, just a question around uh, new business activity because you, you, you both touched on it. So not only is there a, a, um, a value proposition for the, the existing insurer, our, inter our alternative asset manager to, uh, to adopt your platform, but for the de novo funds coming to market, you can dramatically reduce their time to market by providing them with the, with the backend execution. Do, do you have a, a rough sense as to how much of the activity that you're seeing in the marketplace today in terms of uh, new customer activity, roughly with the mixes between sort of a, a established carriers versus uh, new funds, de novo funds? Yeah, so I, I can address that um, in, in the private lending markets that we are uh, engaging with our clients. I'd say it's about 60-40, 60% de novo, and then 40% existing funds looking to basically um, scale 
So they might have a small operation today, uh, Jonathan, and they now want to really want to scale up. So they realize their current provider or their current infrastructure can't accommodate that scaling. So that's about 40% of our, our business. The other 60% is a lot of these new funds, tons of ESG funds, tons of um, the uh, distressed debt funds. Another area that we're seeing is, is cannabis funds. So a very unbanked market, right? Because at the federal level, it's still illegal and banks can't engage. So all these private funds are entering into the cannabis lending space. So that's another area. Again, these are brand new funds that are starting, Jonathan. So I'd say 60-40 between new uh, versus existing funds. Okay. Yeah, John, you, you, I think some of the trends that you covered in your um, spotlight on insurance report when looking at sort of the growth and asset allocation to, to some of those, as we said, Schedule B, Schedule BA yeah. assets that are reported reflect that growth among the 40% at least that are not de novo. That's right. Yeah. And, and I would just add also um, from a new business perspective, the, the two sectors that are hot other than the ESG that we talked about in distress is, is, is industrial, particularly the warehouse side. And then the other is multifamily. Um, it just seems to be an insatiable appetite for uh, warehouses. And we all know what's driving that. Sure. Um, and then there's also an insatiable appetite for rental units. Uh, you know, maybe people are getting priced out of the house market and everyone just wants to go rent something, right? So the multifamily business is booming, as is the industrial and the warehouse sector uh, within the industrial space. Interesting. Okay. Have we covered everything from a sort of a, high, a highlight perspective on the... Yeah, I think so. We covered the key themes. We don't want to give it all away because okay. uh, there's there's more meat in the ebook, which we'd encourage uh, everyone to take a look at. But those are some of the, certainly the high level themes that are, I think, driving uh, the increase in, in, in private credit uh, activity that we're seeing. And then some of the uh, sort of the challenges and considerations that you got to look out for when you're uh, trying to scale up in that, in that uh, space. You know, it's funny, I was at a, um, a real estate conference this past week, and it used to be, you know, location, location, location. And what they all said this time, it's location, location, labor. Because oh. there's a scarcity of labor across the country, these guys are building warehouses, and they're leaving them empty, because our favorite e-commerce uh, company can't find people to go work there. But they're building wow. them and they're waiting to find people to fill these warehouses. But and then they've got to build the houses stuff. to bring them there to actually put them somewhere where they can work next to the warehouse. <laughs> Sounds like the ghost cities in China. But but two years ago, that was unheard of, right? You know, they'd build a warehouse and then they'd have the employees show up and they'd start sure. running it. But today they have to delay the actual um, running and the usage of these warehouses until they can find people. But they're still building them because they need the footprints. But, you know, it's, uh, it's the labor is the biggest issue right now. And that, that's across the board, whether it's construction or whether it's warehouses or, or any type of, and we all know that. Yeah, no, labor is a persistent issue. Well, Scott, Dan, I, I appreciate the time. And for audience members, we will link to uh, the Tech, Tech Today Spotlight Report that I highlighted at the front end. And then the, the ebook that Scott and Dan just drilled down on, we'll, we'll link to that as well. So you, you'll be able to find that in podcast show notes. So that's all for now. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Be well. Thank you, John. Bye.